I think it's so important to recognize the significance of prophecy in the Bible. At least a third of it is the Bible. So we have to understand that when the Bible says something is going to come to pass, that should be put to the test as to whether that happened or not. And you can see there's a really small title at the top there. It says the four, uh, part four, the Antichrist and his system. And we're going to study that. But in order for us to get a full scope of the Antichrist and his system, we really have to look at all of Daniel chapter 7. It's, it's difficult as a pastor. I don't want to do something because I've you know, limited myself to just the time that we have. I want to make sure that we cover it and cover it in detail because the point is not just for you to hear what I'm saying. It's for you to hear it and be able to understand it. Because I'm not in your life's circle. There are many people that so many of you are trying to win to the Lord. The importance of prophecy does a great deal towards that winning of a soul. What we're going to study today, it's just jaw-dropping to see the accuracy with which the Scripture prophesies these, these coming nations. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, privately, because as I'm studying and reading different things, there's, there's this type of criticism of the Bible called higher criticism. And it, it seeks to explain the Bible without supernatural divine revelation. Daniel is so accurate, especially in Daniel chapter 11, which in this series we're not going to focus on a majority of that. But Daniel is so accurate that many people think it must have been written by a pseudo-writer who went by the name of Daniel. It was written years after. Now, I don't believe that. And you may ask, Pastor, why is that? Because Jesus says that Daniel wrote this book. Okay, if Jesus said it, you better believe it. Okay, I'm, I'm so serious about that because that's what gives Daniel the life that it has. Otherwise, it would just be writing that maybe there was a pseudo writer. Maybe it was somebody who was writing after these events had happened to make it seem like they were prophesying something. But Jesus says... That what Daniel wrote, when that comes to pass, then you'll know we're in great tribulation. So it's important to understand here, Jesus verifies this account. So what we're studying today is not something that's made up or written years after it happened. This was written by Daniel while he, while he was in Babylonian captivity. And it looked forward to these major world empires, what they would look like, how they would operate. There's some detail in here you'll see when we look at the bear that has three ribs in its mouth, there's just so much detail. The bear is stronger on one side than the other. We'll look at all of that today. But the reason why we're studying this, you may say, Pastor, what does this have to do with the Antichrist and his system? I can take you to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 15, and you'll read things, but they won't have proper context. And context is key, and I want to make sure we study all of it. So I'm hoping that we can get through all that we need to get through today, but it's not likely because we also have communion. And I've said before, I don't want to just set aside two minutes for communion. I want to make sure that we all take time to get right with the Lord and to dwell on what he suffered for us. And then we take communion. And we also have the volunteer staff meeting afterwards. But we're going to get through this, whether it's in one Sunday or two. But I think you'll be greatly blessed by this. I'm going to ask if Steve can cut the lights for a moment just so you can see the screens easier. I have tried my very best to make the font as big as I can without being like comical. But uh, the first thing I want you to understand here is this, this, this statement from Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. 
I'd like you to go there if you take your Bible and go to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. John is seeing what I believe to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is what's happening in heaven while the tribulation period is going on here. There's a lot that's happening in heaven, but as far as for people that are saved in this age, the church age, we will be raptured out before the tribulation. We will be present at the judgment seat of Christ, which is not the great white throne judgment, but at the judgment seat of Christ, we, be, we will be rewarded for all of our profitable and unprofitable works. We will have a robe fitting. We will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And John is seeing these things, and he says in verse 10, this is on page 1348, and I fell at his feet to worship him, and he's, he's falling at the feet of an angel who's just given him news in verse 8 and 9. So he's worshiping this angel, and this angel responds, and he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant. Wow, that's pretty powerful that angels are disciplined enough to recognize that they are not worthy of any worship. They work together with us. Isn't that encouraging? When you teach the good news of Jesus Christ, you are working in, <laughs> in conjunction with other angels as well. This is a great truth that we can see here, but also he makes a, state, he, he makes a support for why he made that statement. He says, And of thy brethren that have testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Everything that we're going to cover this morning should point you to Jesus Christ. I know we have new visitors here today. The one thing that I want you to know, I want you to see and understand that Jesus Christ is why we have these prophecies. They testify of him. It is not for us to try and identify who the Antichrist will be. We're not trying to figure out exactly who these ten horns are in these ten nations. We know that they'll come to pass. But everything that we learn today should drive us to, to some conclusions. Number one, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Number two, that we are all guilty before Him because of our sin. Number three, God has sacrificed Jesus on the cross and His shed blood has been applied to pay for our sin. And number four, simple faith, trust in that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ gives you immediately eternal life. And we don't have to worry or fear about the tribulation period. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. I scour so much information. I must have read for hours and hours over this one chapter in Daniel chapter 7. And I've seen YouTube videos, and I've listened to Dr. Lindstrom's teachings, and everyone except for Dr. Lindstrom, so many people want to try and sell you some private information, some private interpretation that they think will be profitable for now. But they never tell you about Jesus. He's the point. This is the point. Understanding who these kingdoms are is great, and it gives strength to prophecy. But strength to prophecy to what end? That you would believe on Jesus Christ. That's the end goal here. It's not for you to walk out with more enlightenment on things that we already understand. For those of you who have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, you walked in today thinking that your good works would save you. 
For by grace are you saved through faith. You're saved by simple faith in Jesus Christ. I urge you to do that right now. Don't wait. Don't wait. And for those of us who have already put our trust in Jesus Christ, we're looking forward to seeing Him. We don't have to worry about being in this terrible time under this great and terrible leader who will rise up and deceive many. I think of 1 John chapter 3, verses 1-3. through 3. What manner of love God has bestowed upon us that we're called His children. And I don't see Him now, but one day I'm going to see Him. I'm paraphrasing that. And because of this, I keep myself pure. That's what we as believers should be encouraged. Don't fear. Don't fret. There's no revival coming. There's no great resurrection to people now trusting in Christ coming in this age. We're hurtling towards the tribulation, folks. You've got to do the best that you can with the time that you've got to win the people in your circle of influence. Otherwise, you get caught up in all this other stuff. It brings great shame to the Bible when people misuse prophecy. We ought not speak on things that we don't understand. And that's happening a lot. I remember when we got married in 2011. Here we are, me and Kyla, walking into a cruise line in Alaska. And there's this whole family. It had to be at least 10 people in the family with these big white shirts, big red letters that said, I won't be here after May something something. It's like the fourth day of the cruise. I don't know. You could probably look back in history and see that there was a, there was a statement made that the end of the world is going to happen on this day. Now me... Chuckle, 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 right? I know what the Bible says, that we don't know. It could happen in a moment. They didn't. Looking back on it, everyone who saw that shirt mocks the name of God. Mocks the accuracy of prophecy. Seven days later, we are getting off of the cruise line, and that family ran out of laundry, I guess, and had that same shirt on. Four days old. Or however old it was. I look back on that and I say, there are so many people trying to speak for God when God remains silent on issues. What we're going to study today, a lot of revelation. A lot of things that came to pass. And I want you to see the strength of that as we study. But the end goal is... The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. And if you've already believed, live disciplined so that you're not ashamed when He comes back. Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. This is one of the strongest verses about belief bringing about proper standing with God immediately in contrast to any good works. Pastor, where do you see that? I want you to focus on the words that I have made read here. Forgiveness of sins, by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. By the law of Moses is a reference not just to keeping all of the 613 commandments that God had exercised as a requirement over the children of Israel, but to have no sin at all. We can't do that. We all fall short. That's why we're called sinners. It means to miss the mark. 
but we can have forgiveness immediately by believing on Jesus Christ. And my Bible says that I'm justified from all things. There is no double justification. There is not a justification that happens when you trust in Christ and then an ongoing justification to see if you really believed enough. The Bible says when you believe you're justified from all things, that's it. You've got to know this, church, or you will be swindled into lordship, salvation, and you'll be swindled into Calvinism. It's like the snake that is in the grass and you don't see it until it bites you. You've got to know your Bibles. And I speak strongly because, once again, people berate this ministry as not knowing the truth of God. My Bible says, justified from all things, immediately upon belief. So if you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, do so right now. Do not wait, please. I I strongly urge you to do that. The next slide here is very important. Strong meat today. We have to chew slowly. We have to make sure that we're not trying to just get through something for the sake of getting through something. Take notes. I have gone through great lengths to make a PowerPoint for you today. And I actually got these images from a website and I forgot to put this, the slide in there to give them credit. I will do that. We'll make sure that you see that because it's a great resource. But they put together all these different things and they kind of illustrate these different beasts that are described in Daniel chapter 7. And that's good. We can see it. We can see it in our Bibles. We can make note of it. All right, I want you to go to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. It's on page 909. While you're turning there, I'm going to read some things to you. Daniel was a Jewish captive who God used to reveal many prophecies to Israel and the Gentile world. Daniel chapter 7 is written in a language that was universal. Now, Hebrew was a very strong language at the time, but the language that's used in Daniel 7, because it includes the Gentile world, is written in Aramaic. A difficult language, but a Gentile language. And I believe that's for a purpose, because God wants the whole world to know, I am sovereign. These empires that we will study... They all had their limited sovereignty, but they cannot overthrow the will of God. Amen? Jesus is coming soon. God is sitting on the throne. No empire can change that. Sorry. Sorry. Not going to happen. That's the strength of what we're going to see here in Daniel chapter 7. They rise, they fall. I'm getting chills because I know what we're going to look at, and it's good. It's so good, but it's strong meat, so we chew slowly. Daniel was in captivity with Israel for all 70 years until King Nebuchadnezzar and pro- uh, under King Nebuchadnezzar and probably lived until he was about 85, but he went in as a teenager. Daniel wrote some of the most important prophecies about the end times. This vision that we see in Daniel chapter 7 is the first of four visions that Daniel recorded in chapter 7 through 12. The other three are in Daniel 8, 9, and 10 through 12. You may say, well, what about Daniel chapter 2? Well, that's not his vision. He interpreted the dream that was Nebuchadnezzar's. We could study that, but I think it's sufficient to just look at chapter 7. In this great chapter, Daniel revealed the consecutive history of four major world empires, concluding with the coming of Jesus Christ from heaven and the establishment of his kingdom, which is a fifth kingdom. And you can cross-reference that with Daniel chapter 2, where the stone that is cut without hands comes and knocks down that image. And that image, split up into those different parts, represents all of the world powers. 
And that a stone is going to come and knock the whole thing out. And you're going to see in Daniel later on today what that day will be like. As far as when the Son of Man, which is the title for Jesus, receives that power from God. Thus, Daniel 7 provides a framework for a more detailed revelation of these kingdoms that follows in the book of Daniel and in the New Testament, especially in the book of Revelation. This is why I didn't think it was sufficient to just go to Revelation 13 and read a few things about the Antichrist, because that's where we were chronologically when we ended last week. We've got to look here. We've got to look here. Then we can understand those things more accurately. Daniel 7 gives more information about the first four kingdoms that Daniel had already revealed in chapter 2. Why this study? In order for us to understand and appreciate the terrible nature of the Antichrist, we must study all of Daniel's vision in chapter 7. Then we can look at details in Daniel 11 and other parts of Scripture like 2 Thessalonians. All right. So now we're going to study the little horn of Daniel 7. So if you'll join me, please. You should be able to see right here in your notes, we'll start, or excuse me, in your Bible, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. You have this image here of Daniel. He's seeing this vision, and he sees an ocean. The four great winds come together, and these beasts rise out of the ocean. Why is this significant? It's probably the Mediterranean that is in view here. But it's significant because in the Eastern world, strange powers came out of the sea. It was considered to be mystic and not of man when it came out of, when powers came out of the sea, but when people came from other lands, it was like, oh, they're humans like us. So when Daniel is seeing this, he's, he's seeing this in the spirit of God is revealing it to him. And there are going to be four great conquering beasts. That's why I think it's showing over the sea and not over the land. All right, verse four. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings And I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. Verse 5, And behold another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side and it had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. Verse 6, After this I beheld, and lo, another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl, and the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Verse 7, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly. I want to stop for a moment, and I want you to notice something here. In this description of this last beast, there is no comparable animal to it. We had the lion... We had the bear, we had the leopard, but this beast is so, and I want you to see why it is listed this way. Look what it says, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, that there was no description for it. There was no description that Daniel saw that it actually looked like something that was of this earth. I think this is a reference to the satanic element of this last kingdom. 
middle of verse 7. And it had great iron teeth, it devoured and brake in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse, different, from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Verse 8, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn. I was listening to Dr. Lindstrom talk on this, and he had a way with very dry humor. How many of you um, studied under Dr. Lindstrom? Okay, many of you. Okay, so his humor was really good. And he said, when you have 10 apples and you get one more, you have 11 apples, right? And everybody laughed because obviously this is an 11th little horn that comes in here. So it's not just 10 anymore now. It's 11 before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. So that concludes what he saw. He'll have an interpretation of it in a moment. I want you to go back to verse 4. On the screens here, you'll see the artist's depiction of these four beasts. You have the one in Daniel chapter 7, which is a lion with eagles, uh, with the wings of a bird. And this is important to understand. It's not depicted here. But at one point, it is described in verse 7 that the wings are plucked, which would signify the power of that is taken away, and something is replaced. It has to stand on the feet like a man, and it has the heart of man. Then you have in Daniel 7, 5, the bear. Specifically, to note about the bear, it is lopsided. I want you to see that in verse 5. And it raised up itself on one side. That means that it was kind of like this, strong on one, weak on the other. In Daniel chapter 8, there's a depiction of a ram that has a smaller horn and a larger horn. You'll see the significance of that in a moment. Daniel 7 in verse 6 talks about the leopard with wings and the four heads of the leopard. And then Daniel 7 is that great and terrible beast that has no comparison to any animal on the earth that has a little horn. I want you to focus on that here. You take a look on the screens and you'll see of the ten horns, there are now three removed and one has come up in its place. And if you can see, you'll see it later when we zoom in, but it has a little mouth and it has eyes. And this is the Antichrist who leads that one strong, great, terrible movement against the saints. So let's define these beasts with history. That's the significance of this. This is not just, ooh, cool, mythical creatures. Let's worship them. That's not the intent here. The intent here is that Daniel is prophesying these four powers will come into existence and then God's going to establish the last one. And that's the one you and I will rule and reign with Christ in. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 4, read that again. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld to the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. I believe this very clearly is the current empire that was in Daniel's time, the Babylonian Empire. Why? And that is because those wings were plucked, and I think that's significant to Nebuchadnezzar, the leader of that empire, being in the wilderness, losing his mind. And he comes back with the heart of a man. He's kind of set straight. This is also the gold part of the statue in Daniel chapter 2. Is the Babylonian Empire in existence today? No. There's a beast that comes after it. 
I want you to notice this beast here, verse 5, and behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, it's lopsided, strong on one, weak on the other, had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it, and they said thus unto it. I want you to notice the command that is given to this beast, which we can see is an empire, devour much flesh. I believe this is the Media Persia Empire, which, if you notice those three ribs in the mouth, it conquered all three of these empires during its reign. The Babylonian Empire, the Lydian Empire, and the Egyptian Empire. This is significant because this bear also is lopsided. So that means it has a weakness somehow. It's well recorded in history that the strongest part of this union was Persia. Media was significantly weaker. I mean, is the Bible accurate or is the Bible accurate? Hello. This is exciting. When I said I scoured a lot of information, I was reading world history. In Daniel chapter 8, there is a depiction of the ram with the small horn and the large horn. Do you know what the national symbol of power was in the media Persian Empire? A ram. Daniel saw that before that even came into existence. And in Daniel 8, you have all these things. Pretty interesting, right? This is no longer around anymore. Media Persia was taken over. Now this one, I think, is probably some great detail and accuracy. This represents Daniel 7, 6, which says, After this I beheld, and lo, another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. And you can see that right here. It's got two for the sake of the artist's illustration. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. I believe this is Greece under Alexander the Great. What is notable about his rule? He died at 33 years old, but guess what? He conquered the known world at that time with his military might in just about three years. Significant. Why wouldn't he be the lion, right? Why, why wouldn't he be described as the lion? Well, leopards are significantly faster. In Daniel chapter 8, along with that ram, there's a goat that's introduced. And this goat is described to be floating, but it runs, meaning it's lightning quick. I think this is a reference to the quickness and speed that Alexander the Great took over the world by military power. Now, what about the four heads? Well, remember, I told you he died at a very young age, about 33, 32, 33. Well, his kingdom, it took about 26 years, but the Grecian Empire was split under four generals. Four heads on the leopard. This, this world power was not in existence when Daniel had this vision, but it was going to come to pass. I love the significance of prophecy, seeing these things laid out. Now we have this last one. Now, this is in the image of a stegosaur. Um, I've seen some of them where they have it like a picture of a velociraptor or a T-Rex. I don't know why artists like to think of dinosaurs when they think of this great and terrible beast, but whatever it is, you're not, you're not seeing this at your local zoo, right? And if you do see it, please like, tell me. I'd like to go take a look. Count the horns, maybe. But you can see significant details about this beast that is specifically asked by Daniel later in his explanation. 
But here's what it says. Look at verse 7. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly. It had great iron teeth. You can see here in the depiction the iron teeth there. You can also see as a description, and it devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue of the feet of it. The artist has paid attention by putting clay residue on the bottom of this beast's feet. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Look up here on the screen. I think this is the Roman Empire that will later be revived. I'm not saying that Rome is going to be established again, but the spirit of it will be revived in these ten nations. There are ten horns there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. These are ten future nations. Now, I respect Dr. Lindstrom greatly. And in my research, I listened to his analysis on who these ten nations are. And he said something about the European market. In the recording, it kind of gets jarbled, so I, I never got a clear understanding of what it was. But it was of his opinion that the little horn that would rise up, which I want you to see in verse 8, and I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Dr. Lindstrom believed, and I could see the play for this, that that eleventh horn with the mouth is the United States. Now, we don't know for sure, but it's a pretty compelling case. And I'm not going to stand here and say I know for sure, but he thought that in the time of the future, the United States would be coming out of that same Roman government of which we're slightly established. Individual freedom, the pursuit of happiness, our government is modeled in the same way, the Capitol building is built almost identical to the Roman pantheon. There's a lot of comparisons that you can draw there. Whatever this little horn is, it's going to subdue three nations as a result of it rising into power. Take a look on the screen here. You can see now that there are three holes where there once was a horn in each hole. Now there's only seven. There have been three removed. And this one here is of significance because it speaks powerfully as it leads. Many people think that the Antichrist will be in the role of President of the United States. I don't know. But I know that when he does come into power, he will subdue three nations as a result, and he will speak very terrible things against God, against the saints, and that's what we're going to study next. Look in Daniel 7.15. Daniel 7.15. Yes, we're skipping 9-14, through 14, but we're going to come back. We're going to come back. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. Right? Can you imagine seeing something like this? And it's not a vision like he was like, wow. That, or a dream like, wow, that was crazy. Too many onions. That's not what, he's, that's not what he means. This, he saw this vividly. Received this instruction. 16, I came near unto one of them that stood by. This is probably... Some type of angelic being. Some people think it's uh, Michael. It's not determined here, but it says, and asked him the truth of all this. What, what does all this mean? So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the thing. 17, these great beasts, which are four, 
are for kings or nations that shall arise out of the earth. This last phrase I want you to see with significance, shall arise out of the earth. These are nations established by people. And these people came in, and as a result of them coming in, they had this rulership. But we have to understand that all of these things that we saw, they're not metaphorical. They're described in a way that we can understand their power, but they are literal nations that came into power. And we can study. You can go through world history and see each one of these nations established and they lose. Established and they lose. Established and they lose. The Roman one lasted for the longest period of time, but it's going to be revived again. And there's going to have power that comes, there's going to be power that comes out of it. Now I want you to focus on verse 18. This is why I said the, the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Why is this so important? Look at 18. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Is there any doubt of how long we will reign with Christ? How long will this last? into eternity. And remember, Daniel's troubled. He says that in verse 15. I was troubled. My body was troubled. And he's told, not only do these things represent four nations, but they also will not prevail against the Most High God. And that's why I say, if you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, do so today. Because you, automatically upon belief in Christ, become a saint of the Most High God, and you're guaranteed to win. I read the end of the book, and so did you, and we're in the middle of it. We know how it ends. Verse 19. So he gets this comforting truth, right? But he's still so amazed by this fourth beast. 19. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass. That's a, sec- that's a new detail now, the nails of brass which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with, its, with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, that little one, and before uh, whom three fell. Now I want you to note here, in verse 8 it says that those three horns were plucked. In verse 19 here, or verse 20, it says that those three horns uh, fell. This is... I think I don't know if it's going to be my military might, but whatever it is, these three will remove their power and give to this final horn where the Antichrist will speak from. Even of that horn, we're in the middle of 20, that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. Ladies and gentlemen, to be stout means to be plump, means to be large. Now, this doesn't mean he's going to be a fat, sloppy man. That's not what this means. What this means is he's going to have great power and influence. You're fat in Daniel's time, you're eating good. And not everybody is eating good. You understand? So it's a, it's a sign of power. It's a sign of you have possession of wealth and material things. He's going to be stout than his fellows. These other, ten, or these other nations, seven now, three have subdued their powers, they're not going to be comparable to this one. I think that's why people come to the conclusion, this may be the leader of the United States. Now, our reputation around the world is dwindling because of all this social justice stuff that's going on. We're a mockery, but we still have 
a strong military. I know the leadership is trying to do the best to dwindle that, but we still have very dangerous weapons. We still have a lot of power, and we can, we can take people out if we needed to. That could happen. Not saying that gives any force to this, but whoever this 11th nation is, it's going to be very powerful and influential. It's going to speak great things. This speaks to the intelligence of the leader of that nation. He's going to, he's going to focus a lot of people, get a lot of people's attention. 21, and I beheld, and the same horn, and this is where we want to start making notes. I beheld the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. I think this now is specifically in the tribulation period where the Antichrist, when he rises into power, he will prevail against believers. This is why it's so important for us on this side of the tribulation to make sure we lead people to Christ because people will die under government authority. It's not something that we're thinking will happen. This nation will use its power to make war with the children of God. And he's going to win over them. If you recall in Revelation chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 6, the fifth seal is those who were martyred that says, how long until we are avenged? And God says, wait a little bit longer. There are yet more to die, and they will die. In Revelation 20 and verses 4 through 6, there's a description of those that were beheaded for Christ, martyred for Christ, they'll experience a resurrection. Believers will die. This is not a period of time that you want to be sticking around for. It doesn't matter how it does not matter how prepared people may be. If you're a believer in the tribulation time, the likelihood of your death is high. Very high. And if this nation is the source of the antichrist, your death is guaranteed practically. The buying and selling thing, I know we're all trying to look, right? Where is it? Where is it? What's the mark? What is it? Folks, that's a side effect of his power. He'll be in power well before that. And he's gonna, he'll be brutal against the saints. Brutal. They'll be beheaded. Well, that doesn't happen nowadays. We have to find out if people deserve capital punishment or not. And it's very comfortable the way that they go. This leader is going to cut people's heads off. Even in the most graphic of movies, they don't really portray that because it's just, it's grotesque. <laughs> this guy's going to lead with it. Very strong man. He's going to make war with the saints, verse 21. He's going to prevail. Look at 22. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High and the time came that the saints possessed this kingdom. This is so interesting. I, this is just a note, my observation. I like how Daniel gets some really bad news, and then he gets really good news. Then he gets really, really bad news, but then he gets even better news. What's the good news here? Judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. You and I do not go into the tribulation period. We're raptured out of here. But those who die in the tribulation period and they're martyred for Jesus Christ, they will rule and reign with us. They will be avenged. Oh, there's so many people and there's so many movies and there's so many things that are trying to focus on revenge, right? All the Liam Neeson movies and all that, Taken 1, 2, 3, Taken Back 4, whatever. 
All these different movies, all about, oh, look at him, man. He's just getting out there and, wow, getting his revenge. <coughs> God's going to get his revenge for us. What people do to you in this world, you need to have a greater scope of the end. You're not supposed to give vengeance for yourself. God is going to be the one that sits. Until 22, the Ancient of Days came. And we'll see that in a moment here. But I want you to see 23, because we're continuing to talk a little bit about some of the things he does, the Antichrist. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it to pieces. There's an element then of this that was past in Rome, and I think it's also an element that is future. And here's the future portion, 24. And the ten horns out of his kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. They had not come yet, but they shall arise. And another shall rise from them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. This is the end of that study on the plucking out. They're plucked by the roots in Daniel 7, 8. They fall in Daniel 7, 20. And here they are subdued. I think... It's not going to be by military conquest that these three nations fall to this one horn. I think they're going to align. And that's going to be a big part of his power surge. 25, and he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws and they shall be given unto his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. For three and a half years, he will have this great ability over the earth. And I want you to note here, it is given to him. This is a part of the sovereignty of God. This Antichrist is not some great man of his own doing. God is using him to bring about what he prophesied would happen. But I want you to note some things here that I think are significant. He'll speak great words against the Most High. I think this year we have seen some terrible things done to mock Jesus, to mock God. And I know they're on a social level, but even a few years ago when our Congress initiated their year by praying to a Hindu God, it is just a matter of time until this leader comes in and he's going to have a great culture to thrive in. I don't really even enjoy baseball anymore because of some of the things they've decided to do. And even that is not what will be as significant. It's, it's minor compared to what the Antichrist will do. But do you see how the foundation's being laid? This is why I say we don't know how long we've got. Even when John wrote, even when Paul wrote, he said the spirit of Antichrist is already here. He doth work. Any false doctrine is a lie, and therefore it's a doctrine of devils. We have, to, we have got to make sure that we know our Bibles. We've got to make sure. Look at that verse in verse 25, and to think to change times and laws. I don't think that means he's going to try and change the calendar, so to speak, but I think it means he'll change the times, the way things are run, and laws. We know that because of the mark of the beast. Speaking of time, we're running out of it. So let me make sure I get to the, at least this last part here where we get back to Daniel chapter 9. But let's finish here in verse 26. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. 
and the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. This is the fifth one. And all dominions shall serve and obey him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. You think? This guy saw the whole scope of history finishing from his point to the end. And my countenance changed in me. He, he was changed in the way he looked. He's troubled. But I kept the matter in my heart. Why was he troubled? Because he knew his people, even though deliverance was coming, this Babylonian empire was going to fall, they're going to be brought into captivity again. And they were. The Jews were, 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 are still persecuted to this day. Even in their land. But there's coming a day when God's going to set it all right. And He's going to rule from Jerusalem. And He's going to reign. And we're going to be able to see Jesus Christ. That's the promise here. Although it's troubling to know, and Daniel was troubled because he knew his people were going to suffer greatly. But in 26, where it says, The judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. I want you to hold your spot here and go to Revelation chapter 19 in verses 19 through 20. I'll tell you what. This is exciting. It's on page 1349. Revelation 19, verses 19 through 20. Jesus comes back. That begins in verse 11. But a part of his return as Armageddon is underway, and I saw, verse 19, and I saw the beast. And the armies, or excuse me, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Want a side note for a moment here? The Antichrist has been prevailing over believers up until this point. He's already flexed his military power. He goes into Jerusalem, desecrates the temple, and he sits there in power. This is an assault towards God. So the whole making war. I used to think like, man, how could that be? This is, this is the strongest leader of the world against the people of God, against Israel, against believers. Millions have died under his rule. So making war with God, the armies of the earth probably think they could win. <laughs> what? Yeah. 20. And the beast was taken, Antichrist, and with him the false prophet, we'll study him next week, that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. This is a very important note. The agency and power of this rulership under the Antichrist is deception. And Satan is the first one to use that. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. It's over. God wins. Isn't that comforting? Sometimes I think, who may watch this little live stream later? I I just wonder. You know, we're a small channel, not making splashes, except when we use the great names like Paul Washer and John MacArthur. Then people just line us up, you know. But maybe we fly under the radar for a purpose. Maybe there will be tribulation believers that are encouraged by the reading here that even though your death is coming, you're going to rule with God. 
And for us, we've got comfort. Isn't that wonderful? Go back to Daniel. This time in chapter 7, but verse 9. We skip this, but this is significant. After he saw those beasts, he beheld this vision in verse 9. And I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. You have to understand the imagery here. This is the throne of God, and the Ancient of Days is God who sits on it. Look at some of these details. Garment white as snow. He's pure 100%. There's not a stain on his robe. There will be no one who will stand and say that God was unrighteous. The hair of his head like pure wool. This is his maturity, his experience to be able to judge. His throne was like the fiery flame. Again, a depiction of his righteousness and his wheels as burning fire. Why did he talk about wheels here? Because Daniel probably saw that this thing could go anywhere. It, 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 was, it was everywhere at once. A fiery stream, ten, issued and came forth from before him. Thousand, thousands ministered unto him. That's at least a million. And ten thousand times ten thousand, a hundred million, stood before him. For what purpose? The judgment was set and the books were opened. This is the great white throne judgment. This is that, the end of that great and terrible day. This is at the end of the millennium, after a thousand years where Christ has reigned, and all the saints of God, all those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, will stand and watch this judgment. And people will be condemned to hell. And shame on us, if we carry ourselves in an attitude which stops people from putting their trust in Christ, shame on us. This day is real. This is coming, folks. There are people who will die today and will one day be resurrected to be at this judgment. 11. I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain. We just saw that in Revelation 19, 19. And his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. We know that's because of the inspiration that John had. We know that that's hell. As according to the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Those other three that he saw, including Rome, taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. They had a little bit of influence. 13. I saw in the night visions and behold one like the Son of Man. This is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at this wonderful description. Came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. What this scene must have looked like. What this must have looked like for Daniel. And we get to see it with our eyes one day. This is backing up now where he's given the dominion at his second coming. Verse 14. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion, which is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Amen. That's the blessed hope. This is what we're looking for, folks. 
I'm looking for the rapture so that I know I'm already going to be in this day. And I'll be on the right side. I, I kind of don't like when people say God's on my side. No, no, I got on His. I got right with God by putting my trust in Jesus Christ. I don't want Him on my side. My side's not that good. I'm still a sinner. I'm looking for the day when my body is delivered from this or when my soul is delivered from this body of it's just sin all the time. And we can know that these things come to pass. I want to draw a note for you as we conclude. Jesus reigns there in verses 13 through 17. He's given that. Remember what I told you earlier that the, the, the language in which, in which chapter 7 is written is in the universal language of that time. What is the purpose of all that we just read? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe, believe, believe. Don't wait. Don't delay. When we, get, when we pick this up next week, we're going to look at some of the specifics in Daniel 11 of the Antichrist system and his, what are his attractions. And then we're going to see how he deceives by studying some of the stuff in the New Testament. Would you take your Bible, please, so we can turn the lights back on and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to turn off these projectors. We don't have any slides after this. And I'm going to roll these things up. What a, what, a, what a chapter, right? And you may go, what's next? Read on. Read on into 8. And then you see in 11, the detail of how these, those, the, those three beasts to come ruled and specific things and nations being spoken to as kings and all that. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing what's going to happen. One of these days when we do a study on the book of Daniel, which may take many, many weeks, we can see how accurate Daniel 11 is. But we already saw how accurate those eight verses in Daniel 7 were. I just think it's amazing. and I feel so very blessed to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I was talking to Bob today, and I was listening to Dr. Lindstrom, and, and it just it, it always impresses upon me when I hear Dr. Lindstrom that he, you know, the guy did not expect to die when he went in for whatever he went in for. It was a very quick thing. And I just think about, you know, the certainty of death, right? I'm looking for the rapture, but I know I also may die. And all the hobbies, all the things that I enjoy doing, they pale in comparison to being, being able to study God's Word with this time that I have. I want to I just study it. I want to know it, and not just it, but all of how the historical significance of the word gives so much truth to it. But the number one thing that just always strikes me is the grace of God. That even in his sovereignty, as he causes these nations to rise up and they fall down, he still makes salvation free. He paid the price for us. I don't get that. I'm so thankful for it, but there's no, I can't, there's no comparison. None. And I think it's so sad that so many people are deceived into thinking they have anything to offer that God will verify brings about eternal life. It's a subtle message and it just, it's so persistent. And what I want you to understand as we get ready for communion is that our sin 
is fully paid for. It's all done. We stand justified before God now. But we struggle in this life with the presence of sin. One day we're going to be delivered from it. But if you put your trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, your salvation's settled. There's nothing that you have to do to prove it. There's nothing that you have to do to double earn it. You said it, or excuse me, God said it, you believed it, and that settles it. That's, it's done. I just want the world to know that. And I know many of you are like, Pastor, we know this. I want you to know it like I know it. It's changed my life. It's the greatest news that I've ever heard. I'm so looking forward to that day when I get to see him. And so I want to consume as much as I can of this Bible. I want to know it inside and out, but I want it to to work through me. And I, I so desire that for you. I so desire that for you. There's a lot of distractions out there for us today, folks. A lot. I just want you to see the greater scope of things, how it's going to work out. And yeah, you'll be shamed and ridiculed. This world hates you. Oh, it hates a strong word. Well, that's what Jesus said. (laughs) They hated him. They're going to hate you. But you know what? God loves you. You're protected. But they could kill me. But you're going to heaven. I I know that sounds so dark, but isn't that the truth? It's the truth. We have some dear people in our ministry who are, they're close to their last day. I was talking with Carolyn and Hortense before Sunday school. And Hortense, we all know Hortense. We love her. Is she in here? She is. I knew she was. She said, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be overcome with sorrow. This is what we all look forward to. And we look forward to it because Jesus died and rose again. Don't forget that. Don't get caught up in the things of this world. We're going to see Jesus very soon. And that's an encouragement. If this hand were to represent you and me, I'm going to let my wallet represent sin. I put this on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God loves us. He hates sin because it separates us from Him. We have to be absolutely perfect with no sin in order to get into heaven, but we all fall short. The payment of sin is death, eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. Like I said earlier, that is the promise for many people today who die without faith in Christ. That should not sit well with us. There's no amount of good works that could ever pay for sin because the wages of sin is death. Somebody's got to die. Good works are filthy rags presented to God. No matter how good they are in man's standards, God will not accept them. He cannot. It's against his nature. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. 
This hand represents Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And we can understand salvation, how we can know we're going to heaven by looking at John 3.16. Look up here. For God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten Son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth or trusts in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Salvation is not a list of things you should do and shouldn't do. It's not a measurement of how good you are. Salvation is whosoever believeth in him. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out it was finished. After hanging for six hours, he paid the price for sin. He was buried and rose again three days later to prove he was exactly who he claimed to be, the Son of Man who one day will be given the keys to the kingdom and he will rule and reign forever and ever and ever. That Jesus died for you first. He died for you. So we might have the righteousness of God. And so, with no sin to separate us from God, we are eternally secured. But that came at a very high cost. And that cost was the cross. And when we read in 1 Corinthians, the death, burial, or excuse me, the communion event, we are reminded that we're not to take it unworthily. It can bring shame, it can bring punishment, and yes, it can bring an untimely death. We have to get right with God. Our sin, although it has been paid for, we still struggle with the power of it today. So we're supposed to take time, talk to the Lord before we partake in communion, confess our sins. You say, Pastor, why do I confess them if they're already paid for? Well, if you walk in darkness, you're not walking in the light, and it causes a disruption of fellowship. It doesn't take away your salvation, but it makes the fellowship poor in quality. You get right with God. You thank Him for His Son. And you move forward. And don't forget to boldly approach that throne of grace when you need it, folks. When you need it, go get it. You've got that mercy available. But if you're here today and you've not put your trust in Jesus Christ, would you do so right where you sit? Let's bow our head and close our eyes. I know we're over time, but just bear with me for a moment. Nobody looking around. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I walked in here thinking I was good enough to get to heaven. I walked in here thinking that, man, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I've never really thought of it. But I understand now that what Jesus Christ did on the cross was to pay for my sin. And right now, the best I know how, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand and let me know? I just would like to pray for you. Anyone at all before we close? Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know so that I can pray for you. Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. As we get ready to partake in communion, I want to take just a few minutes here where you talk to the Lord. What have you struggled with this past month since we've had communion? Are there some things in your life that you're not doing correctly that you need to talk to the Lord about? Get right with Him. Ask for that forgiveness. He gives it to you and restores you to proper fellowship. Once you've done that, I want you to focus on the cross. The brutality of it. His body that was beaten and His blood that was shed.